I was also the medical director of a nursing home for six, seven years. And at that point, I realized that everybody in America ages so poorly. People, like by the time they're in their 60s and 70s, when they feel that they're retired, they all retire with four or five different diseases on six, seven different medications. And they're just basically pretty much like letting themselves go. Everything is falling apart. Nobody likes to look at them. In the nursing home, they would like actually not put mirrors because people hated the way they looked like. In the bathrooms, they would place dimmer lights because people hate the way they look like so that they don't look at them, how bad their their faces are disintegrating. So I did not want to age like that. And I was like, there has to be a better way to age. You're listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. For six years, Dr. Sophia Din served as medical director of a 200-bed nursing home in Scarsdale, New York. She was shocked to see so many elderly people battling age-related diseases with poor nutritional support, dwindling energy, and lots of medication. And she became determined to help people age better. Nowadays, she runs Giovanni Med Spa in Yonkers, where she provides her patients with anti-aging services. This includes not just skin and body rejuvenation treatments, but also weight management, nutritional advice, and a focus on general health and wellness. Dr. Din is also founder of Hagar's Foundation, a nonprofit startup that improves the lives of single mothers by helping them find employment whilst maintaining health and wellness. She's donated all the proceeds of her first book, Do We Really Need Botox? A Handbook of Anti-Aging Services, to the foundation. Dr. Din is a single mother herself and an immigrant from Pakistan who overcame a restrictive childhood to train as a surgeon and later find freedom and independence in America. Let's dive into her extraordinary story. Sophia, welcome to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. Hi, thank you, Miriam. Absolutely my pleasure. So, you know, we're connected on LinkedIn. Um, and a couple of months ago, I saw a post by you which really caught my eye because it was so personal and so different to what you mostly see on LinkedIn. And it was also just generally very, very touching. So I want to read a little excerpt. And you really wrote about your process of coming to America and what freedom meant to you. So for the benefit of of our listeners, um, this is a tiny excerpt from a long post that you wrote. Um, I left Pakistan with a deep sense of what I didn't want my life to be. However, I also didn't know what I truly wanted other than to survive with some agency. I knew I had to be a doctor in New York to be free. I wanted to be economically self-reliant and be able to control my destiny. New York had everything. It offers Pakistani food and people, so you never need to get homesick but the conditions of life are so much fairer. And I, for the first time, experienced freedom as a female. I discovered paths to safer spaces. 
And obviously since then, you've also built up a, you've been on a very long journey and built a truly remarkable clinic. And I really want to hear a little bit first about your journey um, that led to those thoughts that you shared. So first of all, tell me a little bit about where, where you grew up. Um, my father was in the army in Pakistan. So we kind of moved around. I was like a rolling stone. Uh, but, you know, uh, never really gathering too much friends uh, or friendships or whatever, but I, we did gather a lot of data and information um, because we studied. My father was in the Army education course, so he was like responsible for educating people. And so part of my childhood was spent in Pakistan, but part of my childhood was also spent in the Arab world. So I lived in Saudi Arabia, in Riyadh. Uh, and uh, so I kind of... Uh, was exposed to Arab women and Pakistani women. And as I was growing, I was also intimately uh, involved with Afghani women who were basically, um, uh, you know, just coming over the border and stuff. So it was like a very, um, you know, a lot of information and like a lot of like, I've seen women suffer from uh, like all these areas. So, and I personally didn't want to be one of them. <laughs> so I was like, I need how, how much, to get out. How much freedom did you have growing up? Not much, not much. I was uh, not allowed to uh, go out of certain places. You know, the safe zones that we had were home and some cantonments that we lived in, uh, which were protected. I could never drive. I learned to drive much later in life when I came to America. Um, so, I, I mean, I had uh, the thing that set me aside was the fact that my father was educated and he was secular enough and open-minded enough to provide us with education. So I was able to study and, uh, you know, apply myself. Uh, and uh, he like really made sure that we trained in sciences and stuff. So even though I was artistic and this and that artsy fartsy, but he was like, dude, you want to make some money? You got better be like learning something that you re that is really useful to others because that's how you'll be able to do it. So, you know, and, as a, and, and you could have career aspirations as well. So, you know, we, I had some uh, uh, things. So if you're like, either you're good in medicine or and you become like a doctor, a teacher, an engineer, <laughs> or a lawyer or something. So I picked a doctor. I was like good in biology. I, I knew, I always knew I was going to be a doctor. Even when I was little, I was like, uh, I was interested in human body. So, you know, that's what uh, led me to be slightly better. I was a doctor in Pakistan. If I had stayed in Pakistan, I would have, um, all my homies were surgeons. So I know that my trajectory would have led me to become like a full surgeon. However, I uh, got married and I came to New York and uh, that was one of my arranged marriages that uh, it was, I think my third arranged marriages, marriage that allowed me to move to America. And here so, I- so you, met, you, met, you married uh, an American, I take it. Uh, no, I married a, uh, he was originally from Pakistan. So he was like finding a bride in Pakistan. So I was his second wife and uh, he was my third husband. Uh, and then I, uh, I came to America. I was married to him for 13 years. I was not unhappily married again. You know, it's just, it's sometimes, you know, so that is like a different story, uh, maybe uh, for another podcast, since this is an anti-aging podcast, so we can keep ourselves towards just why, how I got into aesthetics. However, so I, I trained 
in in New York again, I knew now my my degree from Pakistan didn't matter when I came to New York, so I had to reinvent myself in America. So over here, I uh, did not want to be a surgeon because I just didn't want to wake up at that hour and start scrubbing and stay in the OR all day. I wanted to, you know, learn more about people because surgeons don't need to talk to people. And I was like, I want to talk to people uh, and uh, I want to meet people when they're still awake. And uh, you'd be what, able what, to... What was it like starting again from fresh? It was very difficult. And uh, the reason, uh, the motivating factor for me was that I was in an unhappy marriage and it was very unsatisfactory. So I was like, uh, in a way, at that time when I was going through it, I, I was like, oh my God, why is this happening to me where I have like my marriage? So like every time I marry, it's like nothing. I mean, it's none of my... Uh, uh, you know, aspirations are fulfilled with this. And the reason was that I had to become something myself. And that is something, you know, so what was in me, I had to find that resource I wanted and I needed to develop it again. And, uh, you know, so uh, in America, I had to, again, relearn medicine in a different way with, with my existing circumstances and then, which I did um, and uh, wasn't easy. But it's totally doable. I tell all uh, anybody that I meet, I'm like, you know, you you gotta like just keep doing that. Don't stop. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I, Sophia, can I just ask? I'm um, going back to that quote that you wrote. It was very, very strong mm -hmm. on the theme of finding freedom that you yes. saw New York and America in general as a place yeah. found freedom. Um, yes. So when you came to America, how strongly did that drive you? And did you did you really see and do you still really see it in, the, in those kind of terms? Oh, 100 percent. I uh, the moment I came here, I also got pregnant and I had a daughter and I was like, eh, now that I have a daughter, I will never go back to Pakistan because it was just such a bad place for women to grow up. And I just had like almost no faith in what that country can provide you unless you're like supremely fortunate and you are born in like a place where somebody allows you, you're just like, it's, it's, it's really oppressive. Um, the cultural expectations and the societal expectations and the edu you know, even the familial expectations out of women are just insane. So- um, Was it, was it different I, here practicing as a, as a woman? Oh, 100%. I, I could totally uh, feel that women in the West had kind of liberated themselves more than women in the East. Uh, and they, their, uh, uh, their uh, freedom uh, aspirations and uh, their um, self-actualization started almost a century before uh, the rest of the world. So they are definitely ahead of us. Uh, and I, I, I'm so fortunate to be in America where, and in a part of America also where, uh, you know, I feel that we can breathe. I sometimes still feel that there are um, uh, even uh, the liberties in America that women are facing are at risk right now. And the reason is because, you know, when you don't protect your liberties, they fucking go. So whether you're in America or you're in Afghanistan, if you're not going to protect your freedoms, nobody else will come and protect it for you. So that is one of the things that, you know, I totally believe. And yes, that is the reason that I 
um, uh, you know, feel grateful every day that I am in America and uh, I um, can, ex can actually, I feel free to do whatever I can. I, whatever I need to do, I know that there is a law, there is, nobody's going to come and, you know, to shoot me or whatever. So, so, so I, what, what I, you know, but in, in Pakistan, you know, Malala Yousafzai, when she went to school, she was charged by Taliban, right? So, uh, you know, so uh, to, when, uh, to, to, to be shot because you want to uh, learn something is, uh, you know, it, it, it's preposterous in the 21st century. And to have areas on this uh, planet which are still in that dark age, um, it's, it's very sad for me. And there are people from, you know, my background. So it's, uh, it hits harder. So what, one of the things obviously you've done um, is you've built up this incredible practice. So tell you, you started explaining why you wanted to go into aesthetics, but when did this idea, you know, it's very different, obviously being a surgeon and being essentially an entrepreneur. So when did the idea that you could actually start your own practice come to you? Um, I had uh, growing up looked at marriages as uh, a career uh, for myself because I was like, okay, I'm going to marry the person of my dreams and that person is going to give me blah, 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 blah. And of course that doesn't happen. You know, it doesn't happen like that. And, um, I realized that as I, you know, uh, uh became better myself, I improved my own knowledge base and my data and my work. I realized that I can do a lot more. And that was very liberating for me because I realized that I'm so skilled at one point where I didn't need to be employed. I could actually just stand out there and people, I could help people and they'd pay me directly for it. And um, that's exactly what happened. And I don't know, I didn't really think it through when it was happening to me. I just needed a job. I just need, all I knew was medicine. That's all the, I know human body. So that's what I, uh, you know, was good at and that's what I knew. So I got into the field and everything, but then I realized when I was a geriatrician, as I was, I was also the medical director of a nursing home for six, seven years. And, um, at that point, I realized that everybody in America ages so poorly, uh, people like by the time they're in their sixties and seventies, when uh, they feel that they're retired, they all retire with four or five different diseases on six, seven different medications. And they're just basically pretty much like letting themselves go. Everything is falling apart. Nobody likes to look at them in the nursing home. Uh, they would like actually not put mirrors because people hated the way they looked like uh, in the bathrooms. They would place dimmer lights because people hate the way they look like. Uh, so that they don't look at them, how bad their, uh, their faces are disintegrating. So I did not want to age like that. And I was like, there has to be a better way to age. It's like uh, medicine as it's uh, doubling and tripling our lifespans can, it's also are, uh, important for us to actually make the quality of the lifespan better. If I, I'm going to make you live 40 years more, like in the 18th, 19th century, just a hundred years ago, we were dying around 40 or 50. And now you're, an average female lives to like a, a, to her 80s in America. So how can we also improve her lifespan? You know, so that was the thing that brought me into aesthetics initially. I wanted to help myself first. 
So for you, the aesthetics is very much, it's not just anti-aging, but it's very much also connected to general wellness. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. In in your own practice, do you actually connect those two practically? Oh, 100%, yes. So when I went into anti-aging, that's when I... When I started taking care of my own self, I realized that it's not just an exterior skin is not just, it doesn't just exist in tandem. Skin is a representation of what's happening inside your body, what's happening in your brain, what's happening in your gut, you know, and it actually um, manifests for you how you're doing. So your stress, your you know, your spiritual, emotional, physical existence have to align for you to manifest good skin um, and to uh, preserve it over decades. So I, I just came to that conclusion, not uh, uh, together all, uh, all at once, but over a period of time. And I had to institute a lot of things like meditation, sleep hygiene, hydration, nutrition, all those things I had to uh, integrate into my own system and my own life before I started training other uh, uh, people. And, you know, I, I just generated my own following who people who actually did believe in what I was doing. And, uh, you know, initially it was just my friends who would come to me. Do, do, do patients get it? Because it's very hard to look so far ahead. Do, do patients really understand that kind of hol- really genuinely holistic approach? You know, it it used to be harder for me to convince people uh, like, hey, you got to do this, this, this to achieve this. Um and I used to have to run. I used to have to like tell people and like have to sit for 45, 50 minutes with everyone to like explain to them. And they, even then they would be like, what the fuck is she talking about? Because, you know, I, I apologize for my Greek. Anyway, so, the Botox, right? <laughs> and we're like, you know, just give me a Botox and just be, stop, you know, shut the fuck up and leave me alone. I'm not meditating. I'm not like doing your stupid infusion and whatever. And I'm like, no. You have to do all the things. And, you know, so uh, as I became more and more, I had more data and I knew that it was working for myself. I also was able to convince my clientele. And with COVID, everything is like really big. People are, you know, when when shit hits the fan, I can, it's, it's, it's fascinating how quickly people learn. So now I feel that it's like, it is one of the fastest growing thing Uh, it's like up and coming it's an emerging field and I tell everyone that this is a time to like really get into it how do you convey this idea to patients in your marketing because it's one thing to say it's someone um, face-to-face but essentially what what you're talking about is really a very strong marketing positioning but how do you Mm -hmm. actually convey that in your marketing we are very transparent we're like we're like, I, I just want to be like super transparent. You don't like me. You can see me and don't come, you know, like if you're like right now, we're at a point where like, if you don't understand it, if you don't get it, please, I'll see you later. Hasta la vista. Because the thing is that there are so many others who, who got it. So, you know, there are people who are getting it every day. And I have like a, a bigger population who's like interested in these uh, uh, things because people are realizing that if we don't uh, preserve our bodies, nobody else is going to come and preserve it. And 
medicine, healthcare is only going to, it, it reacts reactively. It's not proactive. So healthcare, your health insurance is only going to cover your diseases. You know, they don't cover proactively your wellness or health. And, uh, you know, it's just like car insurance. Your car insurance only activates when you get like, you know, when you get into an accident. Similarly, that, that's it. So I, you know, people are changing. And I think that I'm absolutely sure that, that COVID has a lot to do with it and that people are people understand that a lot that, that every aspect of their wellness is connected after COVID. Exactly. And also like, you know, people are looking at themselves more because you're not like meeting people in person. And, you know, that is something that is going to uh, make you come in touch with your own self and your own uh, body and how it's functioning. There's one thing I actually really want to ask you about your marketing, but beforehand, I do want to get back to this question of, um, of how do you convey to people that aesthetics is about more than, than just skin deep, essentially. So do you, do you um, also talk to them about um, general wellness? How do you really, again, make that idea that it's about more than just Botox? The thing is that I one thing that I have come to a conclusion, I do not go try convincing people who I know are not going to listen to me. So basically you attract your crowd. So you attract the people who are interested in preserving their life. They love themselves already because I tell you that, listen, if you don't love yourself, don't expect me to love you. I actually really agree that this is why you know? lots of clinics get wrong, that marketing isn't yeah. actually about persuading people things, yeah. things they don't yeah. believe in the first place. Yeah. So if I love myself. That's speaking yeah. to people about things they believe anyway and then motivating them to act on that. So you've taken you you've taken a very strong strong position in the market essentially. Why do you think um, what 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 we see is that many aesthetic clinics are afraid to do that. They're afraid to say this is what we believe, um, and then take it or leave it, which is essentially what you've done very successfully. Why do you think other people are scared of doing that, and how why, how should they get over that fear? Uh, I think that it is time to get over that fear because this is the truth. This is coming, it's coming, people are, there is demand and people are like waking up to this realization that, wow, I'm going to live like for 40 more years and do I want to look like 75 when I'm 75? Most people are like, no, I can, I can help myself a little bit. And what are the things that I need to do? So yes, aesthetic clinics have to at this time and because of the current uh, uh, progression in the way information travels, this thing is going to just travel so quickly. Tell me a little bit about the charity that you have founded and uh, and the work that you've done charitably. Yeah, you know, that is something that's still developing in my brain. I sometimes feel that say, one day when I retire, I want to retire as a social entrepreneur. And I hope that I can retire from medicine so, like sooner than I want. But, you know, it doesn't look in the car like it's getting the cards for me yet. But definitely, so for that purpose, I did found uh, an organization for single mothers because single mothers, I was a single mother myself once upon a time. I'm not single anymore. Uh, but uh, that was, uh, you know, a very hard experience. And at that particular time in my life, I was economically self-sufficient. I, I was a doctor. I am a doctor. So I could like throw money at my problems, but my problems didn't uh, go away. And, uh, you know, whether it was with my child, whether it's with, with, with anyone else. So similarly, I felt very 
emotionally drawn to other women who were in my kind of uh, uh, problems, except they didn't even have money to throw at their problems. And I realized how important money is to survive for women and for to have any kind of agency over their own lives and their and the lives of their children. So, um, you know, I founded the foundation for that to like educate women about things that are a possibility for them and to like help them figure out their own journey and their own way. So I didn't have a lot of resources. The only thing I had was knowledge which I accumulated uh, through my life. So I basically put it in the form of a book and I donated the book to the foundation. So your book is really for everyone, is that right? Yes, it is for, it's relevant for everyone, but not everyone will be able to afford to do all the things that I mentioned over there. Uh, But will it be relevant for people? Will it help them? Yes, uh, because it mentions a lot about how food is important, how meditation is important, how sleep uh, and everything else that goes with it is important. So, you know, uh, the most important anti-aging thing that you have to do for yourself is to preserve your weight. And, you know, it's, it's interesting just listening to you speaking. Um, there's, there's this whole trend over the last few years that um, that aesthetics is really becoming a lot more accessible to people, even if they don't really have a lot of money. You know, because nowadays you can really do Botox, not good Botox, but you can do Botox and fillers on every corner. Um, but actually what you're saying is something deeper, that to really take care of your appearance actually still does take money because it's taking care of yourself in a deeper kind of way. Um, is that, is that right? 100%. You know, you are what you eat. So everything that your humans are nothing but a chemical reaction happening under your skin. You are, uh, you know, whatever you're consuming, whether it is emotions, whether it is information, whether it is food, you got to figure out what's coming in and what you're allowing to stay maintain inside you. And that is something that, you know, yes, self-perception, you know, it has different layers. I feel that we're like onions, you know? So once you start peeling it, there's so many layers and Botox is just like one tiny little part where it erases some of your wrinkles. But the actual anti-aging process for yourself is like a way deeper, way methodical and uh it's a full process of uh, on its own and we basically bring people in for anti-aging and yes do you also preserve your facial skin yes yes that's part of it so there's a lot of education still to be done around yes. that yes so we you know you preserve so we have we we have pelvic floor rejuvenation so it's not just your face it's not just you but injecting your lip if your pelvic floor if is not working, by the time you're menopausal, you'll be peeing every time you sneeze. So are there things that you can do over there? Yes, yes, you can. Is your doctor gonna tell you that? No, it's not covered by insurance. So your doctor is not gonna come until he tell you Kegel exercises or any other. And at some point, even Kegels will not work. However, once you develop urinary incontinence, and I'm just giving you an example of urinary incontinence. Once you develop urinary incontinence, there's a pill that we can throw at you for the rest of your life. Do you want that? However, 
in our practice, we also have a laser that we tell women that once you start developing urinary incontinence and laxity in pelvic floor muscles, here is something else that you can do, which is not covered by your insurance, but totally worth it. So again, this is an example that I'm giving you in the anti-aging field that the scope of anti-aging that we are able to do for men and women, and we do the same exact thing for men. So men go through something called menopause. So, you know, and I tell them, and it's like usually mid fifties that they start going through it. For some men, if you're like really, really stressed out and stuff, it might happen earlier, but you know, that we do that for men too. And men have even a bigger problem coming to uh, aesthetics because they were like totally raised, like even women were raised to be like, oh, you're vain, you're vain, you're vain, you know, don't look after yourself, otherwise you'll be considered vain. However, men is a totally different level. They are totally disconnected with themselves. It's a huge gap in the market, isn't it? Oh yes, there's like a huge gap for men. So men, when men start realizing, oh shit, we've been misguided for centuries and millennia, I do think a lot of men will get interested also in this. So, so it's an emerging market. Let's see how long it takes for the human race to figure it out. Fantastic. I have hopes. And, I, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing you do more and more in this area. And I'm sure you're exactly right and that others will be following soon. Um, Dr. Sophia Din, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you on um, How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch? They can reach me on my Instagram, which is Giovanni Medical. And I have a personal Instagram also, which is the real Dr. Giovanni. So please find me there. Uh, I have a YouTube, which is uh, Dr. Giovanni, which is uh, now uh, getting started. And I'm, I hope to put a lot more content in it, uh, which is going to be useful for people, whether it's hair restoration or facial restoration or pelvic restoration that or rejuvenation that anybody would want to um, find out more about. And uh, one of the things uh, that I am going to be doing a lot more is this podcast that I'll be doing. And, Absolutely. Uh, and we're going to put all those links that you just mentioned in the show notes. So any, all those links to Instagram and YouTube and your website, if, thank if you. whoever's listening, just pop down to the bottom um, underneath the podcast and all those links will be right there. So they will be really easy to check out. Thank you very much for being a guest on the podcast again today. And for everyone else, I will see you on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic.